At the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins. Triple threat match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. for hitting the download on this episode of the New Blood Rising podcast. We're going to be doing another perfect 10 episode today. And uh, man, I'm, I'm looking over to my right. I've got my I've got my daughter's daughter's baby monitor. It's midday here on a Thursday and I'm trying to squeeze this in in between naps. This is I, we normally call it business as usual. This is business as unusual because we're just trying to figure out how to make this thing work well. Kids are out of school and we're all trying to work from home, which I'm fortunate of, very much so. But uh, this is when I wanted to squeeze this in. So let's talk this through. Triple threat matches or multi-man matches are, I think for the most part, one of those things that is a great idea that is also not very well executed at the same time. I want to say the match that really kind of all right, let me go back. When I was a when I was a younger wrestling fan, 
you know, in the in the height of the Attitude Era and those years after. You, you, we wanted multi-man matches, triple threat matches. Like the idea of it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, man, we're gonna get Austin, Rock, Triple H, well, Psych. We won't. It'll be Big Show, Rock, Triple H. But you know what I mean. Like the idea of having as many guys in the ring as possible competing for the belt. And I'm talking more so a match, not like the Royal Rumble, um, not even so much Money in the Bank. I'm talking like where there is a, a pinfall, a submission that is required. Those types of multi-man matches where. Uh, and it's not really, and I guess tag teams can fall into this the same picture too. They are on the most, for the most part, very clumsy and very lousy when it comes to really keeping a story going cohesively. Without inevitably the big cliche, somebody always slips on the banana peel and is just out of the match for a long period of time. I want to hold on to this as we go through this episode, but what really is distressing when these matches start. And then inevitably, one guy just within the first like three minutes of the match is like, oh, God, my hip pointer out. And it's like, that doesn't normally happen to that guy. Well, he's really taking that back body drop seriously on the outside of the ring. He's just hunkering down by that table. Well, it's because we need to have one guy out so the two guys can go at it. And then that guy wakes up, his hip pointer's better magically. And then he gets back in and one guy's out. And see, it's just one of those things. What I was when I had started off before I deviated back was when I was a younger wrestling fan, the one match that like, I remember like on paper, it was like, you're kidding me, man. We're going to stick Austin, the rock, triple H, the undertaker, Rikishi and Kurt Angle, who's the champion in a hell of a cell, hell in a cell cage match. Well, that's gotta be the best match ever. It's kind of not honestly, it, it really isn't. It's in fact it's very forgettable. Even they even try to like rope in a an Undertaker cell spot, which, yeah, man, like, let's dump him into the 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 yard. Let's dump Rikishi into the yard chips. Okay, it's definitely not McFoley being tossed off the cage, but you know, hey, we're 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 trying to make progress in protecting wrestlers, right? Let's just throw them into the three yards worth of um, of yard chips. <laughs> but the, my point is that match is very forgettable. I mean, I mean, I barely remember anything from that match other than the fact that Angle comes out still the winner. So the reason I bring all this up is today's Perfect 10, and it's so great that this was actually trending for a bit this week. What we're doing is, uh, this is from the Royal Rumble 2015. It is John Cena versus Seth Rollins versus the WWE World Heavyweight Champion Brock Lesnar. Like I said, this was trending the other day, so I'm glad that people were coming back to this because this is so funny. My son is starting to get into wrestling, which for, you know, any dad out there when your son or even your daughter, whoever, like if your child starts getting into wrestling, like you're like, and you're a wrestling fan that's like, you know, even like us, you know, you you've been watching all your life and stuff. It's an awesome thing. And it's always interesting, like, what are they going to latch on to? So I had shown my son the Royal Rumble from this year, from the 2021. He absolutely loved it. And in fact, the part he loved the most was Brock Lesnar just wrecking through everybody. And he started calling him. He was like, I want to see the belt guy. You know, he was like, I want to see the belt guy. I want to see the champ. And so Lesnar's kind of become his guy, you know, for right now. And this will all change, of course, if he, even if he sticks with the whole thing. We'll see. But I showed him this match because I was like, I wanted to show him another really cool Brock Lesnar match outside of him just pummeling Cena, which that was a perfect 10. We did that one. But 
this is a really, really good match. And uh, it's definitely way better than that because very good isn't necessarily perfect. This is a perfect triple threat match. And when we get into some of the user comments later, some of the things that we pulled from Facebook and from Twitter, people's reactions are the same. This is a match that, will defi that defies what a triple threat match is supposed to be. It really does take a lot of the cliches and it repackages them in a way that seems fresh, organic, and stuff like that. So let's get into the background of this. Let's start with John Cena, right? John Cena's had going through a weird six months. And for those who are playing at home and you need to figure, if you need to understand what era John Cena is based on colors, this is black shorts, blue shirt John Cena, which will later propel him into the U.S. Open challenge thing i'm not real high on that i think charlie and i've talked about that thing's kind of a farce i think it's a it is a mirage it is not at all what it was supposed to be and i whatever i don't want to get into that there's some good matches in there but i think the overall point of it just seemed kind of lousy all right anyway john cena is coming off a weird six months where after wrestlemania 30 he is suddenly vaulted back into the world title picture what am I saying? Is it surprising? No, but it happens a little bit more abruptly here just because of Daniel Bryan having to vacate the title. Cena ends up be, ends up winning the title. I think they do it at a Money in the Bank. They do two Money in the Banks, one for the belt and one for the, the, the briefcase. He ends up getting the belt or the World Heavyweight Championship, and he's set up to face Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, and he just as the perfect 10 is you can go back and listen to the archives just get squashed it's an absolute mauling by lesnar he comes out of that match and the next night it's my favorite the sad cena promo awesome so much fun the only problem with it is he never went away <laughs> he would never like he, he would act like well maybe i need to go rethink things for a bit you know, maybe he's going to go do his Rocky three and train on the beach or whatever. Just do that. Just stay away. This was that period of time where it was like, geez, Louise, can he just go away for a bit? I think now everybody's pretty much like, please, John, come back. Please give us something that was actually good. But anyway, um, he uh, he's right back into the world title picture, uh, world title picture again with a, uh, a rematch with Lesnar at Night of Champions, which scared me. I honestly thought I was like, oh, crap. They're gonna they're gonna put the belt right back on Cena. Let's ugh, please don't do that. But it doesn't happen. The, there's really not a, a good finish to that match. It's really it, it's kind of a push at that point. Lesnar retains, and um, it's like, well, what's John Cena going to do next? Going to do next? Well, by the fall, he's in a Hell in a Cell match with Randy Orton to decide who's going to be the number one contender for the belt. We were all pumped for Randy to win because it was like Randy versus Lesnar. Yes. Yes. Let's get this. Well, no, you're not going to get it. Not, or at least not at this point. You're not going to get it. You get Cena winning. and You're like, oh, great. Well, they don't. They hold off on what on, on that match until January where it's announced. OK, cool. Um John Cena is going to face Brock Lesnar for the, the title at the Royal Rumble. And again, I got nervous because I was like, crap, this is when they're going to put it on him. Because you could, and and if you're going back and you're thinking about what they could do, like what, what could be done with Cena having the belt? There was actually a lot. We were pretty, like Daniel Bryan was in the Royal Rumble. So it was like, oh man, would they do Cena and Bryan at WrestleMania? 
That'd be kind of cool because they had that Gangbusters SummerSlam match. That's one thing. And then it was also like, well, what if, what if they had Reigns win it? And this was this was when it was really starting to heat up that we, we don't want Reigns. No, 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 we we do we don't want him. Please keep him. Um, but what if it was Reigns versus Cena? What would that be like? That would be interesting. It's actually would be it would have been interesting to see that main event WrestleMania. But the um, the other thing that's attached to this is. We are now at 15-time champion John Cena, which means he's looking for belt world title number 16. Which, when you say that, you're like he's gonna he's gonna tie Ric Flair, and that depending on where you stand, you know we all know that that number's crap anyway. It's not real. It's arbitrary at this point. I mean, the number of world championships he Ric Flair probably has is well over, well into the 20s and beyond, but. Still, it was like this thing where it's like, God, if they put it on him, that means he's going to be tied with Flair. And it's like, ugh. it had just a weird thing. And I'll tell you commentary when we get into this between Lawler and JBL. I don't know who just wants to fillet John Cena more. Um, it's just, it's pretty unbearable at times. You all know what I'm talking about. When you go back and listen to these eras of John Cena, Jerry Lawler, like the, the poor man's Bobby Heenan to Cena's Goldberg. I think I wrapped that around okay. Yeah, okay. That's that's what he basically becomes. And then JBL, big match, John! <laughs> Idiot. But, um... So, Rollins. Rollins is interesting in this. Because Rollins is in the middle of quite a year. You know, he comes off WrestleMania 30 with the Shield, where they just kill the Outlaws and Kane. I mean, that it that is, and I love their entrance. They came out with those masks on and everything. It was really, really cool. They get set up for two pay-per-views in a row against Evolution where they thoroughly beat them. It's not even close. Like, they beat them. The shock comes the night after the second pay-per-view match where Rollins turns on the shield and he joins the authority and he is rocket-propelled into... The main, like, he is rocket propelled. I'm not going to say he's rocket propelled in the main event picture, but you can tell he is on a rapid ascent to be the guy. So you've got that. And then um, you've got him also in a great feud with Dean Ambrose throughout the summer. I'm not, I, I mean, hint, hint, I'll probably be doing another episode that centers around one of their matches. It's an awesome feud. It's a really, really good summer-long feud for them. It's also tied in with Seth Rollins being the Money in the Bank winner, which that's what made this match, once Rollins got added, which was done by the authority, it really it turned kind of a ugh, feeling about Cena versus Lesnar again to, huh, if you add Rollins to that, what is that? how does that change the match? Well, it, for one thing, it adds an incredible layer of intrigue. Because the Money in the Bank winner, you know, the, the classic Money in the Bank cash-in is the Edge cash-in, okay? We know that. There have been some exceptions over the years, but the classic one is when the champion is either beaten down before a match or during a match, you know you know what I mean, he's down for the count. And then usually that's when that, that briefcase winner comes out and is like, yep, I want to cash in right now. And most times they would win. So it was like, okay, what happens when that that person is in the match. Well, the thing we all went to immediately was, well, what if Rollins doesn't win the match? And what if it's either Lesnar or Cena, and they're pretty beat up after the match? 
he could turn around and cash right in and win. And it was like, oh, that would be really, really neat. So that became, and what I loved was that commentary did embrace this. They talked about that possibility. And that was really good because, you know, if they didn't, it would be like, are you guys, are you guys really dumb or what? You know, like it's good to acknowledge that because that's something that could potentially happen. Be really neat. So you've got him in this picture. And let's also bear in mind, this is, this is Seth Rollins with J&J Security, probably at his, um, I would say he's approaching some of his most popular stuff at this point. As we know, like Rollins' relationship with the fans gets a little shaky over the last few years, but this was a period where people really liked him. They liked what he was doing. They loved, liked what he was bringing. Having the two heaters and J&J Security was awesome. It was an awesome way to really bump up the heel image for him and stuff. So, Lesnar. So, Brock Lesnar is probably, at this point, in the midst of an 18-month run that is awesome. It is a great run for a WWE superstar. If we go back, when he finally got away from Triple H and that feud in 2013, he has the awesome SummerSlam match with CM Punk that I think really, really pushed. I mean, it, it pushed beyond the expectations. It was really, really good. And then he's kind of put on ice, which happens a lot with Lesnar. He gets put on ice for a bit. They they kind of, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm, I don't remember if they used him that much in the in the fall of 13. I really remember him coming back and just killing the big show at the Royal Rumble in 2014. Just absolutely destroying him. And and, and you could tell it was in a way where it's like, okay, we're, we're really building Brock back up to be a monster because after his debut and his like breaking of Triple H's arm, Shawn Michaels arm, whoever's arms, you know, I mean, it was, it, he kind of lost some of that muster after special or muster. He lost some of that luster after he lost to Triple H at, at, at WrestleMania. So it was like, uh, how, what are we going to do with this guy? So they had the punk match. You have him destroy the big show. And then he's put on course with the undertaker for a match at WrestleMania, which, you can, we can say what we want about the match. It's a legendary historical moment in the WWE. The moment the Undertaker's streak is broken. That belongs to Brock Lesnar. He's the one who did it. And then after that, it's interesting because it's not like there's a lot more he does until he's thrown into that match with John Cena that he dominates, wins the belt. It still looks dominant. Like, the thing is, that John Cena match changes everything about Lesnar because that's when it's not quite suplex city yet because I don't think we hear that. I don't know if we hear that until mania this year and in 2015, if that phrase is actually used, but the suplexes are there. Lesnar's delivering them and it, it, his, his wrestling style really, really changed into that. And he just looks dominant. When you see him come out here, he just, I mean, it's the best shape he's ever looked. Uh, I mean, when you look at him just compared to where he is now, like it is definitely the, it's the closest we got to him in his first run with WWE. Now, me personally coming into this, I don't have a, like, I don't have a great super anecdote with this, but what I, here's what I'll say about this, just personally looking at this era of WWE, I think we underrate this era. This era that's about four years from around 2011 through 
2015 and probably a little bit into 16. This is this is a good era for WWE. It just kind of like the problem is when you have three hour Raws, it 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 doesn't it doesn't it doesn't wash over you, and you don't absorb it until well after the fact. But when I was really going through and looking at the matches that we got during this time. There are some really, really good matches. And I think the Shield, those three guys have a lot to do with it because when you bring them up together, you build them up over a couple of years and then you start to splinter them off. They they instantly brought a new vigor to all from your lower card, mid card, main event picture, all of it. So that's all I really wanted to say on the personal side is I think... I, I and it's I mean it's no joke. I mean you look at my some of my perfect tens. This is my second one coming over this this time span. This is a really really strong strong year, so um, or strong couple years. And I'd love to see somebody really dig into it too, looking at how what what we got because with the combination of Punk, Brian, the Shield, and others, there is a lot of great work. Oh my gosh! And just revisiting this Royal Rumble with Mizdow and Sandow. Or the Miz, yeah, Damian Sandow and the Miz. That thing was awesome. So, uh, just wanted to mention that. Think it's underrated. Think it, we should be praising that a lot more, especially nowadays. Before we get into the match with, uh, before we start, let's break. Before we break down the actual match, let's take a quick break and hear about Anchor. Hey, this is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you're listening to the New World Rise. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're back. So now let's get into our match here. Let's talk about this thing. So right from the get-go, what's really cool about this is there isn't any posturing. This is immediately, everybody starts, there, there is movement immediately. Everyone's going at each other, kind of. Rollins ditches the ring. Cena's after him. Lesnar grabs Cena, boom, suplex. And within moments, he's got his hands on Rollins suplex to him the first the first chapter of this match the first act of this match is most definitely Brock Lesnar establishing dominance and I mean it's exactly what we want to see it's what we've been seeing pretty much since Lesnar was really on this 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 ascent in 2014 it's just Lesnar going out and dominating uh, we see him suplex multiple times, uh, Cena and Rollins, and then he even gets J&J security with a double German, which is great. Should also mention, this is in Philadelphia, so Lesnar is getting a, a, a lot of pops because Heyman's out there, and of course, ECW. Rollins is getting a lot, too, because this is definitely when, as I mentioned previously, like this is his, his ascent upwards, so... Um, a lot of cheers for him, and it's the typical Cena reaction throughout it. So this first act, what's interesting is how throughout it, even though Lesnar is clearly winning on the scorecard for act one of this match, Rollins definitely deserves credit because he's adding a, he's adding another element to it where we've, we've seen by this point, we've seen... We know what the Lesnar-Cena playbook is going to be. We know what that match looks like. What Rollins adds in is this sneaky aerial attack to try and get in there and sneak in a cheap shot or whatnot to try and give himself the upper hand. One of the best, it's a really cool moment, Lesnar gets a Kimura on Cena, and Cena is powered out of it to where like he's on his feet. Lesnar is wrapped his legs around him and locked it in. 
Rollins comes off the top rope with his knee to the head of Lesnar. It's not quite the knee, it's more like the shin, but still it looks really, really cool. It's a really cool way to break the hold. We do see an AA early on. We see uh, Cena pop one off, and Rollins, who has clearly been brought up playing WCW, uh, or I'm sorry, WWF No Mercy, immediately knocks John Cena out of the way and tries to get the cover. Lesnar kicks out after one. So you know that, like, you're not just going to pop one off on Lesnar and get a cheap win. You know that's not coming. So, where this does take its turn, though, where this shifts into the second act of this, is when Lesnar's laid out everybody, right? He's laid out everybody. And now it's looking like, well, what's he want to do next to really raise the level of punishment? He decides to take a ride, takes a, go outside of the ring for a little bit and hang out. He goes to the, the announce table and he removes one of the, removes rather generously one of the monitors. And the other one, no, he rips it out and smashes it on the stairs. And again, it's it's sort of like when he threw that car door uh, at that when he destroyed that car that one time. I was like, oh Jesus, he's gonna he's gonna hurt somebody in the crowd. He clears the table, and it's not exactly sure what he wanted to do, because by the time he circles back to the ring, Cena pops off not one, not two, but three AAs, and he goes for a cover. And you're like, you got to be kidding me! You got to be kidding me! And no, it's broken up. Lesnar Lesnar gets out. He he's hurt though because I mean these just popped off three of these in a row. So he rolls out of the ring. We see him try to like try to get away, try to you know get himself back into it. Cena no 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 no. Repeatedly, John Cena uses the stairs either by hand or by throwing Lesnar into the stairs. He uses that as a great weapon to slow him down and really take the fight to Lesnar. And then, at one point, it's like, well, Cena gets Lesnar, or, oh, I'm sorry, no, no. Lesnar circles around the ring, Cena charges him, and basically spears him through the security barricade right by where the timekeeper is. Another great spot, great camera placement, too. It's a great spot in the match. And if that's not enough, he gets Lesnar up on that table that he was previously dismembering. And it's like, well, what's he going to do here? What's Cena's plan? Is he going to go for the Cena, we jokingly called it the Cena fuckbuster, the one where he does the famouser that like tore the rocks and gut out and just seems to hurt more people than it's worth? We'll never know because Rollins cuts that thing off. And then with Cena down and Lesnar on the table, everyone's looking at Rollins like, yeah, man, you got to do something from the top rope. And he does. It's a beautiful looking elbow, an awesome looking elbow that goes right into Lesnar, right through the table. I want to call this out because this was the one personal anecdote with this. I remember this being the first match. I remember noticing the difference in the replay that they had changed the frame rate. You know, like I don't know what they normally would do a a, a TV broadcast. It's probably a really high frame rate that makes it look like it's it's real. I mean, that's like what you see with most most, uh, sporting events. But what's cool is with their replay, and you've seen this through other sports, the, the frame rate is definitely smaller. So then that way, it adds this. It adds a little bit more of a cinematic feel to it. And what you'll also see them use is they'll take that high frame rate. And because you have so many frames within a second with a high frame rate, you can slow it down. And that's when you start seeing the beginnings of this slow and then boom, 
full speed smash to you know finish the spot. I know it drives Charlie nuts. I've talked to him many times about it, and I agree. There are times where I'm just like, just show me the slow mo replay or show me the full five, the full you know live action of it. You know the the normal speed of it. We don't need to keep playing with the 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 speed of it throughout it. I just wanted to throw. I geeked out over that stuff because I thought that was really cool. Um, all right, so Lesnar's down. And not only is he down, he's down and out. And we're talking this is about, um, I'm going to say offhand, it's somewhere it's somewhere in that 10 to 15 minute mark. They go through a good deal of the match before this happens. And the reason I think this is important is this is where I become kind of a hypocrite because this is totally a the banana peel. You slip on it and you're out for most of the match. But there's difference here is Lesnar got put through a table after getting... You know, pretty run down by John Cena beforehand. So it's very believable that he is down and out. Now, he's so down and out that you hear Heyman call for EMTs. You see those guys come on the scene. They're getting Lesnar all straight out. Lesnar's not moving on the outside. We get an update from Cole that Lesnar has cracked ribs, which I'm like, well, there's a quick assessment. But um, the match then becomes a one-on-one basically between Rollins and Cena, which is really cool. It's really refreshing. I'd, I'll be honest, I don't know the uh, how many times in the catalog they may have squared up before then. But what's important about this here in 2015 is this is a nice precursor to where we will see them later on when they are feuding with the U.S. title and the world title in a really mega SummerSlam main event. That's really, this is a good precursor to that. Cena does great with these smaller guys, these guys that are definitely lighter than him. We've seen it with Punk, we've seen it with Daniel Bryan, and we see it with Rollins, where he does a great job of, of bumping for them, and he also has his opportunities to look really strong during certain doing certain moves and stuff. So it's a great matchup. It's a great pairing that we see. It's also when we see Cena's able to pop off uh, an AA, and it looks like he's going to win, and you're like, oh my gosh, not like this. And no, Rollins kicks out. There's some great two-and-a-half, two-and-three-quarter kickouts in this little segment here with Rollins and Cena. It's so good that the crowd is biting on it, and they're, they definitely give the applaud, applause and recognition afterwards. Like, they're really buying this, and that's really important. That's such a great skill in wrestling that is not probably talked about enough is how many guys can really make you buy that at two-and-a-half or two-and-three-quarters that maybe they kick out, Maybe they it goes down for the three count and they're out. But man, they do a great job of hooking you in. What's great about Rollins here is he really goes into the desperation bag, which is great for, you know, it's great for his type of heel character. Is how is he going to be able to pull this out? Because clearly, like his normal offense isn't it isn't working. So what do we see? Well, we see him. We see J and J security get involved. We are able to see then the. Um, the shield powerbomb, the variation on it that we've seen, we've seen, uh, you know, so many times over the years with the shield. Now we see with J and J doesn't work out. And in fact, afterwards, J and J get smoked. I mean, they get lit up by John Cena. They end up eating the famous double attitude adjustment, which, you know, if, if you saw WrestleMania 25, you probably saw the apex of this where he's lifting the big show and edge J and J probably not that much, uh, not that big a struggle here, but, you know, nevertheless, it's pretty good. So, let's uh. Next thing he tries, well, let's get the let's get the briefcase involved, right? 
great compliment to the camera guys here because when Rollins goes for the briefcase shot, he misses. The briefcase goes flying. The camera actually moves with it, catches it. Then it catches Rollins going over the top rope from Cena. It's really good. And when that, and, and when it just seems like none of this is working, he even is able to get off on, a, I think, a curb stomp, but it's not enough. What is Rollins going to do? Well, this is when he breaks out the famous, and you're going to forgive me for this. I don't remember the exact name. It's the, 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 the Phoenix Rising, the Dark Phoenix Saga, the Phoenix, Arizona Splash, whatever it is. The one that I remember first in WCW, NWO, either World Tour or Revenge, it's the Ninja. He and if you, if you took him to the top rope, he would go up back to the, his back is to the, uh, the opponent on the ground, and he, he does a flip and a twist, and he ends up, you know, turning it into a splash. It's a really cool move. This is right around, I, I, I don't know if this is when he broke this out for the first time, but I want to say it was, and you're like, whoa, whoa. It, it's really cool. But what's even cooler is the fact that not only does he hit it, but then in a blink of an eye, there's Brock Lesnar. And you're like, what happened? He immediately suplexes Rollins. He, he suplexes John Cena not only out of the ring, but out of the match. I'm not kidding. You don't see him again. Which I, you know, that that's always one of the things that bothers me. This is something Charlie and I've talked about with when he lost to Kevin Owens. Like he just immediately rolls out of the ring. Not only was that just kind of insulting, but it's like we don't cut to him and like kind of get that reaction. Like, what does John Cena like? How does he react to losing? It's the same thing here. Like we don't see him at all the rest of this match. It's now back to Lesnar and Rollins. And Rollins, to his credit, is able to fight off a little bit. He's able to get some briefcase shots in there. He then sets up for a briefcase curb stomp that Lesnar catches so beautifully, just snatches him out of the air and hits him with a climactic match-ending F5, a 1-2-3. The crowd, huge applause, huge pops. Lesnar just looks exhausted. It's incredible that, you know, based on what we were told and what we saw, like how he just pops up. Granted, he got a nice little 10-minute rest, it seems like, but still, it's a great finale to the match Lesnar wins Lesnar's going to keep the belt going to Wrestlemania what I really love obviously not the fact that we don't see John Cena's reaction what I love though is Rollins reaction because J&J helped him get up and he's just so beat up he he's staggering he's got the briefcase he's looking at Lesnar with that look like god damn it I am going to get you I don't know how but I'm going to do it but he's also got that look on his face like all right, I'm going to take this information and I'm going to, you know, if we're thinking in kayfabe, like how a wrestler would like go to the tape, I'm going to go watch the videotape. He's going to store this for later. And it becomes important because if you watch the way he cashes in at WrestleMania, it definitely is taking into account some of the information here. He wants to make sure when he cashes in, he's got to cash Lesnar completely out of the match. Otherwise, it will not work. And it almost doesn't work. And then, fortunately for him, it's able to and... Uh, this just this just further sets the stage for that really great cash in that we see. Absolutely love this match. What I like to do now, before we had started, uh, I think it was yesterday is when I put it out there. Like I wanted to hear what you guys had to say. I wanted to try this out and see if we could get some response, and we did. I wanted to hear what some of you all thought about this match because it had recently been trending. It had recently been a talking point. So, what were some of the things? Well. The person who kicked it off was Phil Goad. Uh, at Goad Phillip on Twitter, he, 
uh, always been a, a great fan, a great appreciator of the show. I've always appreciated him. We all have for all he's contributed to it. I love what he said right off the bat so simply. He was just like, it's probably the best WWE triple threat match of all time and the second best overall. Absolutely agree. Ryan Palmer, another big fan of the show. Always appreciate the best of luck spots he sends. He's at Yardy316. The pacing of the match was surprising. We were expecting a plotting, disjointed uh, suplex fest, but got that at double speed, thanks to Rollins and Cena. This is definitely Rollins riding a crest of a wave with Brock and Cena telling a great story. Philip Goad came back and he said, also because of the story the match told. All too often, the triple threat turns into switching what person is playing outside while the other two fight. By taking Brock out early, Rollins and Cena have a really good match themselves. Then Brock returns to turn everything up. And finally, Ryan came back with one more reply. It also reminded me of the U.S. title match where Rollins wore white trunks. The pacing was similar, a grand sense of urgency, typical of the open ch- of the open challenge matches of that period. I'm not going to get too much into those because I'm not a huge fan of those overall. I think there were a couple on Facebook and I from, from some very, very um, familiar faces here. Familiar voices. Here we go. This is... Yeah, of course. Let's lead off with um, the Chuckster himself. Charlie Stabile sneaking into the match like Lesnar and F5-ing everyone. What a match. Perhaps the greatest triple threat match of all time. See, Charlie's always real simple. He just gives it to you straight and simple. He doesn't ramble on like I do. I love it. And then, uh, this had to be Jason because it wasn't me. He's the only other one who has the podcast, uh, who has the podcast Facebook. He's like, hey, it's no Tajiri versus Little Guido versus Super Crazy 9. Absolutely. Boy, you guys remember that from season three. We could, we, we definitely had our, had our fill with that. Um, uh, Mick Price on Twitter. To a point, it turned the usual triple threat formula on its head because even though Brock was eliminated from it for a good while, in a trope of three ways, each one was given a chance to shine much better than usual. The double German at J&J is still extremely memorable. And uh, Matthew, boy, man, you're going to have to help me out here, bud, but I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, Mikhailovic, Brock through that plex. Like, how dare you hit Cena in the dick? That's a great way to close it. Absolutely great way to close it. So, a little bit of housekeeping here before we close up shop here. Uh, Best of Luck Spot Hall of Fame. The first grouping. As I'm taping this, it is getting close to the end of the first group vote. And right now, Mabel's epic second rope leg drop to a jobber is leading the pack. So we will see. Will Mabel get into the Hall of Fame? We'll see. I'm hoping so because I love that. That was definitely my pick of it. The other two, so the two of them are kind of silly. The other one, the power bomb, that's like a launch into the fifth row. That's pretty awesome. I wanted to do it this way, and the reason was because last year we just had the doc with the link to the person who tweeted it. Sometimes those tweets get deleted, and it just kind of leaves like, oh, man, not able to vote on that because I can't see it. Well, I ripped all of the GIFs, the videos and stuff, so I'm um, I'm putting those on this time. We're going to be doing – I think there's going to be four more groups. I, th- I think that's what it is, and I'll give a couple days of voting for each so that way you can – you have a good amount of time, whether it's on Facebook or on Twitter, to pull it up and make your vote for it and see who of your groupings gets in there. And, of course, when it's all done, well, that's when we will probably have the episode. The good thing is because the whole, because everything's this whole world's turned upside down, we don't necessarily have to rush to get out our Best of Luck Spot Hall of Fame episode 
by that that WrestleMania weekend like we wanted, we can kind of take our time with it. And that's why I wanted to kind of expand the voting a little bit, add those windows for those Twitter votes and everything. So we've got that. Um, Remember the other categories, the Warrior Award, the Don't Try This at Home, the Are You Not Sports Entertained. I uh, I really want to bring in the the annual Fuckbuster entry, and the reason I say that is because every once in a while, like I know uh, Jason, Charlie, and I, like we'll see a move, and we're just like, oh man, that's what? What do you call that? It's the Fuckbuster. It's something that's just a truly just a, a, a truly cringeworthy move, where you're just like, oh man, somebody, somebody, somebody really needed to get their stuff in, and the other guy. Boy, best of luck to them for having to take something like that because that just looks brutal. It's an especially brutal best of luck spot. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see if that makes it in. It was just something I thought would have been fun to include. Other than that, after best of luck spot, there are two things we really want to get up um, in terms of content. One is the video of the Ron Simmons-Vader match with our commentary underneath it. I want to post that to Twitter so you guys can watch it on there and hear us and then have a podcast episode that is just centered around that match. It's kind of a, a quasi-perfect 10 in a way because it'll be centered around the same sort of thing, like talking about the one match, the the big beats in the match, and just overall the reaction. It's a significant match in, in the annals of wrestling history, so it deserves to have that one singular episode. So that's going to be coming, and then, of course, we'll have some more perfect 10s. Uh, I'll be interested to see what we do next because there are a couple that we've been talking about um, and we'll see. I've always loved to hear suggestions from other people too. I heard one, a really good one, and I really want to toss this one about to see if how we would do this one. Chris Benoit versus Kurt Angle from Royal Rumble 03. This is one that kind of gets lost sometimes in history for probably some very significant personal reasons for with Chris Benoit. But even before then, it wasn't a match that always got a lot of a lot of play. That may be one we need to explore. There are a few more I've got in the pipe that I want to do, and I've talked it over with Charlie, and um, we'll get those out soon. So that's all this week. Perfect ten. We had John Cena versus Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar. Let me know what you think of this one. In the meantime, we're on Twitter at New Blood Pod, on Facebook, New Blood Rising Podcast. I am at William Rinkin83, and we will see you all next time. Speed, Mick Foley.